0: Morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Oh, hang on. Sorry, I just realized I'm uh, flashing you guys. Sorry, I don't want the divorce rate to go up at the church. So, oh, wow, that was painful. All right. Hey, how are you guys doing? This is exciting and embarrassing all at the same time. Um, hey, just to introduce myself. My name is Dave Thompson. I am one of the student pastors here at One Church. Uh, it is my great pleasure to work with 6th through 12th graders throughout the year, and of course some of you guys are thinking, oh, bless his heart. Um, no, I absolutely love it. It is uh, probably the biggest passion of mine. Um, however, we we shut down our, not really shut down our student ministry, but we kind of take put a pause on it and, and just take a break over the summer so that me and uh, the other adults that work with me, we can kind of recharge and, and revamp and get ready for uh, the fall. So uh, so over the summer, I try to take on uh, more and more teaching opportunities uh, here on Sunday so that I can give Chris a chance to take a break and and honestly an opportunity for him to just be able to be here and be a part of church. Uh, Chris spends a lot of time doing church and uh, uh, giving you guys the opportunity to be a part of church, and so I like to give him, uh, uh, Luther helps out, Patrick helps out, um, we just like to give him an opportunity just to be able to be a part of it. And, uh, and so this brings me here to uh, the series, The uh, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, um, which has been a, a really fun series. Uh, we, whenever I've talked about this with some friends of mine, they they first whenever I told them what series we were doing, they're like that, that sounds a little sacrilege, like you know, you should always want everything Jesus said, and uh, of course maybe they haven't read the whole, you know, like forgiveness um, you know love your wives as Christ loved the church, you know, all those things, so we, we, we're we looking at things that are either uh, difficult for us to do, or things that are just kind of weird that, that Jesus said that we just don't quite understand and uh so Chris did a great job leading us off with the judge not judge not and uh, really walked through how that applies to our lives and uh, uh, then Luther came in and he talked about forgiveness and uh, Kim came in and just really uh, did a great job talking about who was greater, making God greater and less of us. Uh, Chris came back last week and talked about uh, um, you know dismembering your body. Uh, gouging out your eyes, that kind of thing. Um, no, he talked about how it's better to lose a part of your body than to lose your whole body, and to cut off that, that is bad. Um, if, if you haven't had an opportunity, we actually, uh, we record all these and we throw them online. You can go back and watch these if you, uh, you want to catch up, and uh, we're in part five, and, and what I love about Jesus is every time you think he's going to say something... Um, he throws in just this, this curveball and, and, and just completely knocks you off your horse. Like, we, we expect one thing, he gives us something completely different. And uh, a great example of that is uh, a group of religious leaders uh, uh, talk to Jesus and, and they're saying, hey, what, what is the most important uh, law out there? What's the most important commandment? And, of course, Jesus says exactly what we expect him to say. Uh, if you're here and you're new with us and I uh, you haven't been to church in a while, this is kind of maybe what you would expect somebody from church to say. Uh, this is exactly what the, these men wanted him to say. Uh, and, and Jesus says, to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your being. Now, these men hear this, and they you know, they probably perk up, because they're like, yes, because they, they were professional. Um, they, they were great at making people think that they loved God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their being. That's that's what they did for a living. They were um, professional religious people. Um, but then Jesus throws in the side curve, and of course, you know, this is where it catches off catches us off balance. He says, "And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself." At which point, I'm sure these people, you know, mm, like that—that that was hard. You hear the holy cow move through, you know, that mmm, that, that sound you get whenever it's just thick and it's hard to, to take in. Um, they, they, they take this in and they're like, well, we've got the, you know, we are really good at, at loving God, or at least making people think and look as if we are loving God. But they were really bad at loving other people. And surely, you know, some of them, like us, um, you know, they probably have some neighbors that might be a little difficult to love. Like, Jesus just says, love your neighbors. Like, surely he means love your neighbors who are good neighbors, right? Like, love the ones who keep their yard mowed uh, and their heads just trimmed. And surely he's he's meaning to, to love your, you know, like, like can, can you just elaborate just a little bit, Jesus? Because here's the thing. I've got a neighbor who has 15 pit bulls and five Counted five cars on blocks in their yard, like they found the fifth one just last week. Um, it's the craziest thing. Love your neighbor, like that just—that just sounds difficult. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the crazy thing: I, I love, I, I love the modern neighborhood. Okay, uh, my grandmother, she talks to me about the time whenever everybody would sit on their front porch at nighttime because. Well, there was no air conditioning and, you know, you went to where it was cool and so it was cold on the front porch and everybody would be there and they'd talk to each other, you know, from across the road or you might even walk to somebody else's porch and talk to them there. The kids are playing in the road. Oh, it's crazy. That's not happening now. Like, in the modern neighborhood, like, we have remote controls that open the garage. We don't even have to chance waving at our neighbor having to wave at our neighbor. Isn't the time it takes us to walk from the car to the house. No, we hit the button, the door opens up, we drive right in, we close the door before we even think about opening it. We don't even have to, you know, check our mail, we drive up, we check our mail. I've literally seen people get in their car, back out of the out of the. the the garage, go out to the mail, check the mail, drive back into the garage. They never have to interview, you know, come anywhere close to talking to their neighbor. Just imagine if that clicker stopped working. Like, you know, little Timmy, I stay in the car, I'm going to go through the house and open the garage manually and just pray. Pray that I, I, George across the road, doesn't say anything. Like, just pray I do not interact with them. And what's funny is, is we look at this, and I just convinced you how impossible it is for us to love our neighbor, but what Jesus really says, and what he really comes into, this is, this is where it just gets crazy. We'll start with uh, uh, Matthew 5, 44, okay? It says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbors. Now, you guys just said, yeah, Dave, you just said that, I'm already feeling convicted, you know, I like happy church, this is feel-bad church. Um, I get that. And hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, and we're just going to hold that for a moment. That's one of the big butts of the Bible. Um, see, if you're here and, and, and this is your first time back in church for a while, you've bounced out for a while, maybe you considered becoming a Christian and then you met some of us and you're just like, no. Um, or, you know, you, you, you had a, a bad experience. You, either way, you've either bounced out of church, you're, you're kind of coming back, a friend brought you kicking and screaming, promised you lunch, maybe told you there'd be cute girls here. I don't know. However point is, is you're here and you're not necessarily considering yourself part of this. And, and, and maybe it's because of this. Maybe because you've lived with the understanding that you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Maybe you've experienced this from Christians. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, the neighbor really best translates in this point to friend. Love your friend and hate your enemy. See, we as Christians, we are really good at loving those who who look like us, believe like us, act like us, talk like us. But when it comes to people who look different, when it comes to people who act differently, when it comes to people who believe differently, we don't want to have anything to do with them. We live from the mindset of love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And and I just want to tell you, if, if you're here today and that is what your opinion of Christianity is, and maybe someone actually treated you in this manner, I just want to apologize to you. Because that's never what it says. Why? Because there's a but I say statement here. Let's just go and continue reading. It says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now some of you just thought, you've convinced me that I can't even love my neighbor. How? How am I going to love your your enemy? And I just want to let you know, this is not something that I am perfect at. I fail at this miserably. Like, my idea of loving my neighbor is not flipping off the guy who cut me off in traffic. (laughs) Selfie. Post it on Instagram. Do cut me off. Still gonna pray for him. Hashtag love my neighbor. Or love my enemy. It took too long for me to get my food, but I'm still gonna give just a little tiny tip. Hashtag love my enemy. My dog pooped on the carpet, and I didn't immediately take him to the pound. Like, I thought about it for at least five minutes. Hashtag, loving my enemies. So how do we love our enemies? Well, well, I, I want to look at this character in the Bible, and uh, it's, it's, this guy has the greatest name in the world, okay? It's the best name, uh, just period. He's a very well-known character. His name is David. Um, it's... Hashtag still loving my church. Really, don't get my jokes. Um, No, he uh, great character, very well known. If I was to say David and Saul, I heard Saul actually was cool, but Goliath. Okay, uh, that would probably be the best known. Like we we know this story. We you know we might have seen uh, Veggie Tales. You know where David and the Giant Pickle, um, or uh, or or you know we we heard it in 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 Sunday school. And I just want to let you know like this. The real version of that story and the Sunday school version are very different. Like, we learn about the slingshot and, you know, it just hits and knocks, you know, Goliath out. And no, like, the story doesn't stop there. Like, David t- straight up picks up a sword and cuts Goliath's head off. Like, it's, it's crazy. Um, I, like, I read it, I'm like, did he just straight up kill somebody? Like, that, that, that just happened in the Bible. And uh, if you like gruesome things, I recommend reading it. Otherwise, I, that's not me. I'm a pastor, I like good things and wholesome things. No, David was a shepherd. He uh, um, he he grew up uh, uh, tending to to flocks. He he spent a lot of time keeping his flocks from being killed by lions, um, tigers, and bears. Oh my! Um, no, he 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 spent a lot of time doing that. Obviously, eventually kills Goliath. He he gets a lot of popularity. One day, he becomes king, even king of Israel. Now, the big thing with, with David is, is, is something that is said about him multiple times throughout the Bible is that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, I read that and I think, well, you know, that's cool. Like, surely, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. That means he never does anything wrong, right? No, false. Um, he does so much wrong. Like, I guarantee you that there's nobody in this room who's done some of the things that David did. Has anybody killed your friend to marry their wife? Raise your hand. All right, all right, thank you. Uh, no, the fact is, is David was jacked up. Just like you and me, we can be jacked up. But he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Why is he considered a man after God's own heart? See, see, David was such a great character, but here's something problem with, with David. David had an enemy. Someone mentioned it earlier. They said Saul. You see, before David was king, there was a guy named Saul, who basically the Israelites said, hey, we want a king, and so God said, go find someone who looks like a king, and they find Saul, who is, um, you know, he's a head taller than everybody, he is tall, dark, and handsome, much like myself, and um, so they, they take Saul, and they make him into the king, and wow, man, you guys have the joy deep down in your heart, <laughs> like, it's just asking to come out, but you guys won't let it, um, no, they, they, uh, they take Saul and, and, and they make him king. And uh, see, so the thing about, you know, Saul, he was made king based on his appearance. He, he looked like a king. He, he walked like a king. And the uh, problem was, is he was not a very good king. See, so he completely blew off everything that God told him that he needed to do and decided to do his own things and be for his own person and, and collect things just for himself. And so God said, I've had it with Saul. I want you to go find me another king, Samuel. Samuel, I need you to go find me someone new. This time, I'm going to have you find someone who I tell you who will be king. And so Samuel goes and he finds this house of of Jesse. This is this guy who has seven sons. And in this time, uh, the the oldest son would have been considered the most blessed, uh, the most likely candidate for the kingship. Um, But no, God says, I want the seventh son. I want... David, the smallest one, the one who's out there as a shepherd. Why? Because David is a man after my own heart. That's what he tells Samuel. So the problem with David is he's anointed right then. He's, you know They pour some, some, some oil on him and, and boom, uh, he's, he's anointed as king. But the problem is he can't be king until Saul is no longer king. And so David has to spend the next so many years waiting for Saul to no longer be king, really waiting for Saul to no longer be alive, so that David could then be king. So he kills Goliath, he gets popularity, he winds up working for Saul. He goes and he's essentially Saul's um, bodyguard. He, he, he walks around with Saul, he, he goes on, on voyages with Saul, he, he kills people in the name of Saul. Saul. He goes into combat, he kills a bunch of people He gets more and more popularity And, and, and all the while um, David is still known as a man After God's own heart They get back into town And, and as they're coming in, people start cheering right, Because they see their king and they see their favorite hero And they see Saul And they say, man, Saul, he's killed his thousands Of course, Saul He's beaming, he's excited He's like, yes, they are giving me praise They are worshipping my name but then they say, in David has killed his ten thousands. Whew, that's ten times as much as Saul. See I did that math? It's pretty good, right? <laughs> Saul immediately takes a step back and says, whoa! They said I killed my thousands, but they said David killed his ten thousands. That means they are putting David above me. I'm the king. I can't have that. There is no way that David can be for me if he is getting more praise than me. So from that moment forward, Saul decided to see David not as his friend, not to see David as his companion, not to see David as someone who's fighting alongside Saul. He sees David as his enemy. Now I just want to hang out here for a moment because I want to, and you guys can write this down for, the biggest difference between David and Saul is Saul saw David as his enemy. David never saw Saul as his enemy. Saul chose to label David as his enemy. David chose to not label Saul as his enemy. Something big with the the human condition is we are so fast, we are so quick to label somebody who is different, label somebody who might be doing better, label somebody who who, who we just can't seem to keep up with or, or, or we just don't understand, label them as an enemy. Maybe our first step that we can learn from David here, who's a man after God's own heart, and we're going to eventually discover why he's a man after God's own heart, but this is our first step that we can see that maybe if if we want to love our enemies, if we really want to take that step, our first step is to choose to not see them as an enemy. We have a choice to play. We choose who our enemies are. Let's continue. So Saul labels David as an enemy because the people just love him more and, and they start to chase David all over the country. David has to, has to abandon his wife. He, he's out fleeing. He's in the country going from place to place to place just trying to avoid Saul. Just trying to say, Saul, don't kill me. I promise I'm not your enemy and you're not mine. While he's out there, and I'm skipping many chapters, David gets a following of people, uh, soldiers who who, who want to choose David's side, who want to be with David, who fought alongside with David, want to continue to fight with David. And they want to stand with David as as David is is going through this trial, and and, and so he's got this following, which really brings us to our reading today in 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24 uh, starts with, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi, so Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And we'll just pause there for a moment. Now at this point in the story, I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we're totally hiding out in a cave and, and uh, our, our arch nemesis walks in and starts... That was a bad joke again. Um, no, we haven't been in this exact situation, but we have been in situations similar to it. We're the person who we stay around at work and we overhear a conversation about that person who got the promotion who now you perceive as your enemy because they got it instead of you. We overhear what they had to say, and we've learned their deep, dark secret they're in our hands. we have the ability to to destroy their life, or maybe we we accidentally gain access accidentally gain access to to their facebook and and we read some of their messages and we we discover this about them we discover that that he doesn't know that she did this and and it's our opportunity to 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 destroy them if if we will. We 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 can do with them as we choose. You think for a moment that God has delivered your enemies to you so that you can finally get yours. Let's just take a moment and look at David, okay? Was David justified he was labeled a traitor. He was ran out of his hometown, taken away from his wife. He had to hide his parents in a foreign nation so that they wouldn't be killed. He's been going from from, you know, cave to cave to cave trying to avoid this man that he is sworn to protect from killing him. Not to mention that if Saul's gone, David gets to be king, right? Is David justified? I know that, that you know, may, maybe for you you, you, you feel justified because he told her that, that thing. Or she said this about you. He took her from you. She got that promotion. You're justified in doing whatever it is you want to that person, and they are laying in your hands. your friends come along and they they creep up next to you because that's what friends do they're creeps they say now is your opportunity today the Lord is telling you I will certainly give you your enemies into your power you can do with them as whatever you want they might be telling you that they don't see it coming he would never expect it. She deserves it. It's time for you to get yours. So David, he creeps up and, and he's, he cuts off the hem of, of Saul's jacket. But let's continue reading. Let's see what actually happens. Verse 5, it says, But then David's conscience began bothering him, because he had cut Saul's rope. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that, and I just want you to notice something. Pay attention to the words that that Daniel uses to describe Saul. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack, and, and just say this with me, the Lord's anointed ones. Can you say that? The Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrains his men uh, so that they did not uh, let them kill Saul. And and can I just take a moment, like, have you ever had that friend who is just so fired up? Because you've said the story over and over and over again, and they're just so mad that you've got to keep them from firing the shot for you. Saul restrains his men, and and after Saul had had left the cave and, and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord the King, there it is again. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low and and, and before him, and, and then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see that your own eyes, it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there. In that cave, some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said, I will never harm the king. He is, say it one more time, the Lord's anointed one. So you think that maybe your enemy has been handed to you so that then you can finally get yours. Or maybe you haven't hit that situation, you're about to hit that situation, I would dare to say that, that as you learn this, God very well may put you in this very situation soon. You hit that situation and you think, this is my opportunity, this is my time to shine, this is my chance to take control They've done this to me, they've done that to me, I can get mine, I can do whatever it is that I want. Just as, as David, and, and I love this, because David's friends, they were so right and they were so wrong. David's friends said, look, he's been delivered to you so that you can do whatever you will. The fact is, is yes, God very may well put your enemy right in your place. Might put them right in a situation where you can do whatever it is you want to them. But David recognized something that many of us don't, or many of us fail to. David recognized the fact that Saul was the Lord's anointed. The Lord forbid that I should do uh, do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed, for the Lord himself has chosen him. For the Lord has chosen him. In other words, Saul is loved by God. Your enemy is loved by God. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived or lives currently is loved by God for God so loved the world. God loves everybody. God doesn't just like them a little bit. He likes them He loves them a lot. For God so loves. This brings me to my big idea. God will never call you. To hate anyone. It says someone, but I think anyone fits better. God will never call you to hate. If you have someone or a group of people who who you hate and and you try to use Bible verses to support your claim on on why it is you can hate them, sorry, but you're reading your Bible wrong. God is never going to call you to hate. I'm so sick and tired of the church. Whenever I say the church, I don't mean one church. I don't mean here. I mean the church as a whole, living in this state of of us versus them. Us versus them. Us versus the media. Us versus TV. Us versus this group. Us versus that group. Us versus Democrats. Us versus Republicans. We are not against anybody. We are for people. We have lived in this state for so long that it's no wonder we find it so difficult to reach people. You know, the past couple weeks it's, we've seen a lot happen. A lot of uh, uh, just major situations. We first got the, the shooting in South Carolina followed by marriage equality passing through the uh, the Supreme Court and then you've got the shooting in Chattanooga and just a lot of, of things that, that really almost makes us take a step back and just say, what's happening? Really, we should have taken a step back because I'm not going to lie, guys. The responses that I've seen through, from people who are Christian through social media the past few weeks, it makes me almost feel bad about being a Christian. Let me tell you what we've told the world past few weeks, this is what we've told the world. Christians will fight for the Confederate flag and will fight so strongly against marriage equality that whenever they got it, we took it as a personal attack. That's quiet. That's painful. There's some tension in the room right now because we don't know which which direction we should go. But the reality is... Satan did not win by giving men and women, or giving you know, gay men and women, the right to get married. Satan can't win. He lost two thousand years ago whenever Christ died on the cross for you and I. He was hanging up there, and Jesus said, "It is finished, done, over, game over." Satan, you can't win. You can try all you want; it's not going to happen. Stop living as if Satan is going to win. The greatest travesty was not the fact that gay men and women now have the right to get married. The greatest travesty is the way that we chose and we failed to love. There is a group of people that we very easily could have reached, that we could have seen people coming to know who Christ is by the thousands. And we failed. We can't afford for another generation of this church, the church as a whole, we cannot afford for another generation to see the church as, as, as what we are against more so than how we love. Jesus said that we shall love one another, and in this, that people will know that we belong to him. The church is supposed to be a symbol of hope, symbol of love to a lost group of people. And the longer that we take strong stances here and strong stances here, the more our church is going to turn a symbol of hate and bigotry. We have the opportunity to change the world. But it starts with God changing us. So let me ask you, Who do you owe an apology to? Who do you need to go and be reconciled with? Who do you need to no longer see them as your enemy because why? They are God's anointed. Let's pray. God, thank you. Your, your word tells us that, that while we were still your enemy, that we were reconciled to you through the death of Christ on the cross. That the reason David was, was a man of your own heart was because we separated ourselves. We made ourselves your enemy, and you chose to love us instead, just as David loved Saul. Saul. God, thank you for, for giving us the, the ability to, to be able to stand boldly and say that Satan will not win. Why? Because you won. That we can live without fear of, of, of losing the, this world, when the fact is, is, God, that we need to be working adamantly at reaching the world, not policing it. God, I ask that everybody in here who, even if they just strongly disagree with me, God, that, that you would just break some of their heart. Help them to see the right way to love. Help them to see that, that, that we are called to love all people. God, if there's someone here who just has some hatred in, the, in their heart, God, that, 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 that doesn't have to stay there. We can choose to love. We can choose to no longer see them as our enemy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Hey, how's everybody doing? Good? All right. Who's going to tiebreaker tonight? Hey, if you have not signed up to go to Tiebreaker, if you've not signed up to for your family, take your family, there's a table out there in the hallway. We would love for you to come tonight, 6:15, we're going to have dinner, we're going to swim, we're going to do water slides, lazy river, all that good stuff. It's going to be a great night of food, family and fellowship. We hope you guys will will, will come and be that with us tonight. Also, I know you've seen uh, the last couple of weeks that we were going to have a night of worship on the 31st. Well, that has uh, kind of fallen through because we cannot get in the school the 31st or the 1st when we were going to uh we we're going to reschedule it. So we're going to have to push that back to September. So everybody give me an all. All right, that was good. I like that. Also, you know, one of the things that we love to hear is, is we love to hear how God's moving in your life. So uh, the staff, we're going to be out at the next tent. Um, we're also going to be pushing for ownership, which is coming October 2nd. If you're not an owner at One Church, please stop by the next tent on your way out and, uh, and speak with one of us on staff. That way we can get you in the right direction. Uh, with all that being said, you guys, you have a great day. Go eat some lunch and go be the church. We hope to see you tonight.
2: Are we weak and heavy laden, comfort with us?